Martin. Good evening to all of you. Let us go into our presentation, into our discourse of tonight. Uh, it will be the last discourse in this season, and because I will not be here for a while. And uh, I will see if when I come back, if I'll continue with the same subject. I generally don't like to leave subjects unfinished. And uh, we are somewhere in the middle of the Gospel of Luke. That uh, means that it took me more than one season to do, to get to here. And that would mean that if I choose to continue with the teachings of Jesus, it would take me at least next season still to go through it. Other people have asked for other subjects to be approached. So I may choose to take a break from uh, this long series because the Gospel of Luke is uh, quite long. And I may take a break and then comment on other yogic texts and on other subjects related to yoga and tantra. It uh, so was written, so things have happened that um, uh, this season of persecution, of troubles, of difficulties in Agama has been under the sign of Jesus from the very beginning when troubles were happening. I was already talking about the teachings of Jesus and uh, until today I am still talking about the Gospel of Luke, the teachings of Jesus. This has been in a certain way symbolic because Jesus is teaching us this way of dealing with adversity in a peculiar way by humbleness by um, surrendering to God, by allowing things to go in a certain way, in a certain Christ-like way. And for this reason, uh, it has been somehow significant. It was one of the reasons also for which... Um, I have reacted or not reacted to different things happening around myself and around Agama in the way in which uh, I did, because I consider this uh, symbolic and meaningful that um, all this happened by synchronicity under the sign of Jesus in this way. So, for the last two satsangs, I uh, was commenting uh, from this chapter 10 in the Gospel of Luke, the way in which Jesus was giving advice of behavior to people as going... Uh, in the world and um, 
you already have seen a lot of uh, surprising attitudes which you had. You have also seen this un uncompromising way of being He ended by telling people, by telling the 72 semi-apostles, he sent them into the world and he told them to act with detachment by saying, he who listens to you listens to me, who he rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It is one way to say, oh, I reject Peter, therefore I reject Jesus. But the problem is getting much more serious when you talk about rejecting Jesus. Because when you reject Jesus, you reject the one that sent Jesus. And Jesus is very confident that that is God and that he is coming in the name of the Most High and of a good cause. It is often the case of spiritual beings that have got some form of spiritual realization or confirmation and who have this clarity and who have this um, trust, this self-confidence, uh, which is incomprehensible to the others. They would say, how does Jesus know? What kind of evidence does he have since everything is in his head after all? So, then after he finished with this advice, we are moving further because it says here, the 72 returned with joy. So their mission had not been very wrong. Or maybe, again, there has been a whole winter mission. The timeline in some of these things is not very clear. When you read the Gospels, you don't understand in the three years and a half of the mission of Jesus, which exactly of them happened in the first year, which happened in the second year, which happened in the third, and which happened in the last months, just before the things were finished. But we are supposing from all the context before, that this was not just another winter where people went for a winter through <clears throat> the Israel of the day because uh, Jesus was announcing already that he is going to Jerusalem. So it seems to be in the spring between his last winter and the moment when he went in the spring, in the late spring to Jerusalem and there the events of his crucifixion and the other things related to it have happened. So it seems to have been more like a test, like a two-week mission, like a, maybe a one-month mission at the most, or something like that. The 72 returned with joy, so it doesn't mention that some of them had very bad feedback or something, and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Here we have so many things in this little sentence because, first of all, there comes the same thing with the demons. Demons, 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 demons. Many people belonging to this New Age subculture uh, 
probably in the 60s or 70s or some point in their lives, they have expressed some um, rejection of the Christian church because the church is guilty of this, that, dirty and all sorts of things. And uh, they threw the baby with the water in the tub in the meaning that they didn't pay attention to Jesus. It is possible that some church, definitely some churches, pretend to be in the name of Jesus and they are like completely absurd in their behavior, completely ridiculous. You, you don't need more than an average intelligence to see that they do not correspond to what Jesus was teaching. So, uh, unfortunately, people doing that, they kind of dropped out of this guidance of Jesus in a wrong way, by exaggerating, by projecting some social issues on Jesus. And together with it, a whole vision of Jesus is there. Try to think how many people would have been in Israel in those days. It's a relatively small country. There were just two provinces, the northern one and the southern one, which were truly Jewish provinces in that time. Even today, from the seaside to Jerusalem, it's 60 kilometers, and you go a bit further than Jerusalem, you are in other countries. You move to Jordan after a number of kilometers and so on. If, and that's the broadest part of Israel. If you go in other parts, it can be in the north, or other parts, it can be even thinner. So, relatively speaking today, geographically, scientifically, a relatively small country and today it's of course populated by millions of people as being in the 21st century but in those days I'm sure scientists made the evaluation because I heard countless evaluations of the population of Europe the population of the Roman Empire the this the that in the times of Jesus in the Bible times so I'm sure there exist scientific evaluations of the population of Israel around the year 30, when Jesus was doing his thing. And I'm sure the population of Israelis was relatively small. Maybe a hundred thousand people, maybe something like this in those days. And yet, you hear that these people are going in villages which are two, three thousand people big. And it was demons Demons, demons, demons. Jesus went around and did demons. The twelve apostles spent their winter in the villages of Israel and they did demons. And the bloody demons seemed to be in almost endless numbers. Because either they were not solved and they all came back and it was all like a ping pong that Jesus was casting them out and they were coming back. What the heck is happening? It's the same demons. Or if some of the demons have been solved for three years, then how did the 72 apostle, apostles or semi-apostles, how did they still find demons? In the old days, a lot of things were demons. I told you the most explicit one of them, which is the association of diseases with demons, out of which the most common of them would have been epileptic, epilepsy. 
epileptic people were considered possessed by demons because the epileptic seizures, the crises, they resembled very much with somebody possessed by some dark forces and suffering in some peculiar way. And therefore, it is possible that many, many things were considered to be demons. For example, in Tibet, even in the... I can quote for you stories from the 15th century. Even in the 15th century, which was a time of glory of Tibetan Buddhism, like Tibetan Buddhism was very developed already by the 14th century, people considered epidemics, such as smallpox, cholera, they considered them to be attacked by demons. There are clear stories in which big enlightened lamas, they were called by the villagers in a village to defend their village from smallpox, which in those days was deadly to a certain extent, to a large extent. And the way they defended the village from smallpox was making religious rituals, chod and others, against the demons, offering to the demons something to stay quiet and to stay out of the village, and treating the whole village like a mandala on the ground, like at the entrance to the village, exactly as a mandala has these four gates, these would have been the gates of a village. And they placed flags at the entrance, prayer flags, Buddhist flags, flags belonging to a deity, like Mahakala or one of these terrible deities, like demons do not step into the... like the demons were like some human beings without a body and they were coming in the village through the road. And on the road at the gate of the village there were flags which said if you come in you might get zapped by Mahakala because we bless this village, we invoke the protection of Mahakala and the demons would be afraid and stay away. Smallpox was considered a visitation by the demons. And guess what? You can say, ha ha ha, primitive Asian medicine. Guess what? The stories which we read says that it worked. That there was not a single case of smallpox in that village. And that another village nearby where the peasants in that village, the inhabitants were more religiously indifferent, they didn't bother to make an effort to call the lamas to sanctify their village. And half of the village died of the smallpox. So, like, that's why I say, today, uh, I met this very often. Many, many people tell me, when it comes to agama, to daily life, to yoga, to this, they say, Swamiji, don't mention the demons, because the people think that uh, you are some retarded idiot or that you do it just to put them down. No. I do it because Jesus did it and because it was done both in by Jesus and in Tibet and in a hundred other spiritual places. And today there exists this tendency. Most of the things which we do on this planet are demonic, like, you know, we cut the rainforest of Brazil, now with big speed even. 
you know, and they cut it to do grazing for cows mostly, or to plant soy, which will be given to the animal farms. So we cut the lungs of the planet. The planet already has a problem with oxygen and that in proportion. We cut the lungs of the planet to make grazing for animal farms, which are killing, 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 killing tens of millions of animals to eat them, to sacrifice them. And many people, many mystics of the 20th century, they said that's because of the, all these companies are in the stock exchange and they try to increase their stock value because they think it's their duty. But ultimately, these are demonic forces. There are many people who said stock exchange is nothing but a manifestation of demonic forces. There is a, this wonderful DVD made by a couple of activists, which is called The Corporation, which is against capitalist corporations. It's very, very strong, very well done, very reasonable. And there, one of the authors says it very clearly. If the actions of a corporation would be ascribed to a human being, like if a human being, not a, not a legal person, a corporation is a legal person, is a legal entity. But if the same actions would be done by a person in the name of that person, that person would be considered schizophrenic and deeply mentally disturbed. But corporations are getting away with it because a corporation can do this, should do this. The corporation is a legal entity but it's doing things which correspond to mental disease, to mental imbalance. And therefore, the old mystics, they were right. It can be that this world of corporations is a world of demons, that the stock exchange is just a demonic influence which is pushing us to destroy our own planet and to do a lot of other things like that. And that's why uh, the problem is that in the modern times, the demons exist everywhere. When somebody is getting drunk, dead drunk, they are possessed by the spirits. And those spirits are not angels. I mean, we politely say, oh, people are possessed by the spirits. Yeah, little question for clarification. Are those nice spirits, spiritual spirits, or are they inferior spirits, which possess the drunk people? Well, it's like Jesus said, and the tree shall be known by its fruits. The fruits of what people do when they are dead drunk are generally terrible. And therefore, it cannot be angels or positive spirits there. So actually, people, when they are drunk, they are possessed by demons. But hey, even Lonely Planet complains and says um, Thailand uh, would be a lovely country if they wouldn't have these stupid laws about booze. You know, half of the readers of Lonely Planet are fucking alcoholics. And they would like to go to a country where they can shit their faces from morning till evening. And the fact that in Bangkok you cannot buy alcohol after 12 o'clock and midnight is so offensive. 
It's offensive only to the demons of alcohol. It's not offensive to the common sense people. Like, I am not uh, at all displeased that there are hours where you cannot buy alcohol in Thailand. And if they would give a law that alcohol is never being sold again for the next 100 years, at no hour, I wouldn't be displeased at all. It wouldn't afflict me at all. It wouldn't say anything bad to me. The same thing with tobacco. Tobacco, when it was brought to Europe, it was called the devil's grass. Why? Like, why didn't they call it the fairies' grass? Why didn't they call it the angels' grass? Why didn't they call it the grass of Jupiter or something? Why should it be the devil's? Because the effects of the nicotine on the body and on the psyche, they were effects which looked demonic to the religious people from the 16th century when first they encountered tobacco. Today, the devil's grass is everywhere. There are countries where people smoke, 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 smoke and drink, smoke and drink. So I'm taking two of the lowest ones. But then think about psychedelics. Today, it's a rage of psychedelics. Minimum 70-80% of the Western world has tried and practiced marijuana. But you, you just don't need to go further than Carlos Castaneda who was given peyote cactus by some alleged shaman called Don Juan. And that shaman told him from the day one, when you take a plant of power or whatever, a psychedelic plant, you are under the possession of the spirit of that plant. Those plants have spirits and those spirits are playing with you. And Carlos Castaneda describes his first trip on peyote as being rather horrible. Because he did it in without set and setting, he did it chaotic, and he found himself tortured by a mosquito the whole night. And that mosquito, during his peyote trip, became like a demon. It tortured him and it annoyed him, and there was nothing superior in his experience, except a grotesque fight with some nagging entity, which was spoiling his night. I'm telling you all these things, to make you understand that... No, and then in common parlance, people talk. Oh, Walter is possessed by the demon of money. Oh, uh, I don't know. John is possessed by the demon of sex and fornication. Oh, I don't know who is possessed by this demon and that demon. But then if you take it like this, you look at the world and you say, boy... I have about 20 friends and acquaintances around me in my life. And actually, I don't know if there is one of them who has no demons. Like when we look around, we, look, we, live, we live in a world which is deeply demonized. And that gives people the creeps. And instead of people standing up and fighting and saying, but can life be different? Can life be lived in a different way? Are there still puritanic people who can live their lives in a different way, people, they say, nah, this thing with demons is very old-fashioned and very ugly and it makes you feel guilty and dirty and this. No, I don't want to hear about this. It's probably fake. Like the proverbial ostrich, we think that if we put our head in the sand, 
there are no more demons. And it was not Kaiser Sose in the famous movie The Usual Suspects who said it first. It was the great metaphysician of the 20th century called René Guénon. René Guénon wrote it and he said the greatest trick that the demonic forces have pulled is to put in the minds of people the thing that the idea about demons is old-fashioned and fake and that therefore the devil does not exist. And this automatically makes everybody drop their guard and say, come on, we're living in an enlightened century. We are in the 21st century. You cannot think like that. According to the standards of Jesus, the demons are dancing on the table in everybody's house. It's very... There are some people who are highly religious, Christian or Jewish or whatever, or yogis who practice a lot of yama and niyama and a lot of diet and purity, who may be not so influenced by it. Gurdjieff said that even the automobiles are demons and using motorcycles, automobiles, airplanes, all these mechanical contraptions automatically means that you are doing a deal with some demons and there will be a price to pay. There is a price to pay for it. Exactly as you use a cleaning person. You pay for somebody to come and clean in your house. You have to pay every month. You have to pay for the cleaning, for the service which has been done. The demons of the automobiles, they surrender to you and they say you can use us, but you'll have to pay in the end of the month or whenever, you know, this is symbolic, with the end of the month. It is a service, it is a collaboration that we get, exactly as the crocodiles apparently have a little bird which they never eat because she's cleaning their teeth. And after they eat something, they go... And that little bird comes and picks up all the meat from their teeth, and that's the dentist of the crocodiles, you know? And that's the toothbrush of the crocodiles. So it's called a symbiosis. So for the symbiosis, there's always a price, and we may be in a symbiosis with different things. It had been said that computers are demonic entities, and people get attached to it. I can give you examples over examples, this being the shamanic view of the world. In the shamanic view, everything has spirit and spirit, and you have to deal with it. There is a wonderful book of science written by Bob Tobin, and this guy who was into the what the blip do we know, Fred Allen Wolf, but it's written in the 19, early 80s, 70s probably. It's called Space Time and Beyond. A wonderful book of popularized science seen in an alternative way. And uh, these people say, well, if you extend this idea, which seems to be true, then your tape recorder, in those days they had tape recorders, today you are having a memory stick. Your tape recorder is a spirit. Your bicycle is a spirit. And there are places in various religions of Christianity and others where people, for example, bless their bicycle. Bless that the priest is coming with holy water and blesses your car, sprinkles it with holy water. Why would you do it if it's a dead object which has nothing to it? 
What effect would a Christian blessing given by a Christian priest have on a bicycle? If the bicycle is a piece of metal. But hey, what if the bicycle is a very primitive spirit? It's called in magic elementals. An elemental spirit, elemental with L in the end. An elemental spirit. That's why um, there are a lot of demons. And the danger is that people say, Swamiji, if I take this hypothesis, I become like paranoid. Wherever I turn, it's a demonic thing. And for some people, they say it's like, I cannot live my life like that. First of all, there have been a lot of men and women who did live their life like that. And I would point, first of all, towards Vishuddha Chakra. The people that have a good Vishuddha Chakra, they are caring a lot about purity and purification. But the modern world, I often tell to people that Vishuddha Chakra seems to be one of the worst chakras in the modern world because people, when they hear about something pure, they go really nuts about it. And they say, hey, come on, you can, nobody is pure, nothing is pure. The fact that nothing is pure is not an excuse for you to be impure also. That's a very Svadhisthanistic way of thinking, that since the whole city of Paris has become very impure, I have to be impure like the rest of the Parisians. That's not at all logical. It doesn't mean that if the whole world is letting go and falling apart, you should let go and fall apart. There are people who always keep like to keep some high standards. And then you simply say, no, this I'm not going to do. No. And then they do different things. I'm not saying the wisest or the most harmonious. The very intelligent Czech chess player, Bobby Fischer, who was a legend in his time in the 70s, got to the conclusion that the world is very dirty. He had some bitter conflicts with the American government in the 1990s during the Balkan War, the Serbia War. And then he decided to live his life in a place where people were more simple and more pure. And he moved to Iceland. He is buried in Iceland. Because the Icelandic people, they are a bit more simple, puritanic. I'm not saying you should emigrate to Iceland. I'm sure there are problems to Iceland. But in 2008, when the world was going bonkers in the financial crisis, which you all know, the big financial crisis, Iceland was the only European country which did not subject to it. Because they wanted to make the Icelanders pay for the mistakes of the banks, even Icelandic banks. And the Icelandic people did something which is typically Scandinavian, but extreme, like in Sweden and Norway, they couldn't go and do that. In Iceland, they did. They went in front of the Icelandic parliament. Remember, the whole Iceland has 300,000 people. It's not even as big as a large city in Europe. And 300, out of those 300,000 people, probably 100,000 people went in front of the parliament in Reykjavik with pots 
and spoons, kitchen pots and spoons. And they started beating the pots in front of the parliament, simply shouting, resign, 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 because you want to give laws that we should pay for what the American banks did and we should go into crisis. And we simply refuse to shoulder any of these things. It's not our world. The banker's world is not our world. The Icelandic parliament didn't send the army to shoot the protesters. They resigned very calmly. And the Icelanders put instead a parliament which swore never to put on the shoulder of the Icelandic people the burdens of the capitalist companies from there. And Iceland told to the rest of the world, sorry, you can kiss our ass, we are not going to pay one dime for what the bank... If the banks did something, let them pay through their own funds and so on. I never saw that story on media distributed widely in the last 10 years. I heard about it and I had to search for it on certain sites and there I read the story. But CNN or BBC or Euronews, they never told that story. Even in 2008, even then, right then when it was hot or nine. No? Because this was a very, very bad inspiration for the other countries. All the banks and all the capitalists thought, what if the other countries do exactly the same thing? What if Iceland inspires them? No? And that's why I'm telling you this. Are there still countries where there is a certain purity? Yes, there are. There are. No? You can ask yourself, is there any brothel in Reykjavik? Is prostitution happening in Reykjavik when people are like that? Uh, what are the things? You know, what's the consumption of drugs in Iceland? compared to, let's say, the notorious Amsterdam or something. And thus, I'm telling you all these things to show that one should not be afraid of this story with the demons. It's my experience in the last 20 years that modern people don't want to hear about it, and that makes Jesus and the Jesus-like approach very scary, very anachronic. You know, it's like... Uh, that's like you are trying to make us live like a thousand years ago. Yeah, but there were also good things a thousand years ago, which we threw. We threw the baby with the water in the tub. Like, I'm okay that a thousand years ago people were washing once a year, and that now people can take a shower every day, or even two, three times per day, if they feel really sweaty and stinking. But the fact that we introduced warm showers and brushing the teeth in the lives of people, it doesn't mean that we should have thrown away some of the puritanic ways of being and some of the spiritual ways of being which, was there, which were there. And that's why I'm always aware of this thing, that people say, Swamiji, if I take this thing, I'm going to go crazy. I might risk to commit suicide, you know, because wherever I look, there is something demonic. If I eat too much, it's the demon of greed. If I collect too much money, it's the demon of money. If I do this, if I get drunk, it's the demon of alcohol. If I'm horny like hell, it's the demon of sex. Then I'm always guilty. What is happening? 
But there is a way in which you love yourself, you have your heart chakra open, and therefore you can have some tolerance towards yourself. And when the heart chakra is open and you love yourself, you don't react like this. Because people who react in the previous way, which I said, they are people who are like porcelain, like a china cup. You drop it on the floor, it's broken in a hundred pieces. They are people who emotionally and psychologically, they are very fragile. Fragile. Uh, if uh, something is not working okay, and if I'm seeing something which says, oh, I don't love God enough, and I may be still under the influence of some demons, and then I go and commit suicide. How do you jump from one to the other? Because there is a form of perfectionism. There is a form of psychological fragility. There have been monks and nuns in monasteries who endured attacks from the demons constantly. Constantly. I remember having read about the example of a Christian priest in Romania who in the 1940s, late 40s and 50s, when communists came, they all got arrested, put in prison, and in some of the prisons, the communists made absolutely diabolic experiments. Like, for example, in one of the prisons, which is famous for it, in the 1950s, all these people, they were asked to torture each other. And if they didn't torture their inmates, their colleagues, things were worse, things were getting worse both for them and for everybody else. And guess what? People became monsters. People became beasts. They betrayed any human feeling. They behaved like demons from hell, because we all have that thing in us somewhere. One of these priests, after he was released from prison, he became an activist and later he moved to the United States. He somehow managed to emigrate with support from the international organizations. And there he said, because people asked, what did you do when you were in this circumstance? And he said, I did all the abominable things that they made me do. I betrayed my comrades. I sold them. They were making people inform about as soon as you saw something, like I've seen Walter... And to my opinion, he was praying to God. You had to report it to the guardians so that the guardians should pu punish Walter just because he tried to pray a little bit or something. Like it was like hell. Like hell, hell, hell. And this priest, he said, I did all of it. I became the slave of Satan. I surrendered completely. I became. And he said, after it was over, I prayed to Jesus to be forgiven. Like, I had to live with myself. Remember, there were people like Peter denied Jesus. And Jesus forgave him and made him into an apostle. Just a few days, a few weeks later. And therefore, the people who were too fragile psychologically... They broke down and they committed suicide or they wished for their own death. Better dead than like this. This man, he got dragged through the mud. He survived. He stood up. 
and he started washing himself. No? Because nothing is without end. Even hell is not without end. And God is greater than hell and greater than any demonic influence. No? And he said, whatever I have done, that's why I'm saying it depends very much how people react to this. Oh, I live in a demonic world. Yeah, last night I spent too much time on the computer and therefore the bloody demon is possessing me a little bit. But that's not a reason to suicide. That's not a reason to say that you don't love God. That's not a reason to break like a porcelain cup on the floor. Yes, shit happens. There are a lot of dark things, but it's very important to love. Anahata Chakra, which I have recommended to so many of you lately, Anahata Chakra is exactly the chakra which makes people love themselves and tolerate. I have met people who are very much on Manipura, owners of big companies and so on, and they told me, Swamiji, I hate myself. I'm a big guy. I have an apartment in New York and an apartment in Tel Aviv, and I fly first class two times per week from one to the other, <coughs> and I have big money and all that, and I'm a high expert in my domain and in this and that, and I despise myself. Inside, I despise myself, and I think I'm not good enough, and I have expectations from myself which I cannot fulfill. This is a person who has no anahata and who is fragile because of that. Anahata gives this long endurance, long endurance, this sort of resilience where you can take persecution, you can take persecution, you can take, and even if the world is persecuting you in a demonic way, and even if you give in sometimes, you don't. It's exactly like a person who restarted drinking alcohol, and then they drink for the rest of their lives. It's not true. You restarted drinking for one, you know, I know people who try to, I don't know, quit sugar, do some ketogenic diet or something like this. You know, and then after one month and a half, they had a moment of weakness where they binged on a cake. Then I told them, tomorrow, you're back on ketogenic diet. You know, it's like the fact that you did one mistake in a month and a half doesn't mean that you lost the war. It means that next time before you will binge on a cake, there will be three months instead of one month and a half. You are actually doing good. You lost a battle out of 40. You won 40 battles and you lost one. And now you complain because you lost one. Just get going. Keep fighting. It's the same with the demonic things. The fact that sometimes you may discover, ah, this part in my life is a little bit demonic. Well, try to correct it. Try to adjust it. Nicely. In a harmonious way. Don't rock the boat. Because if you rock the boat, sometimes you just break it or you flood it, you know. Do something to get to your goal, to get to your ideal. Slowly, slowly, step by step. That's what Francis of Assisi tells us. If you want your dream to be, it's the translation of one of his prayers. Unfortunately, I cannot quote it in Italian. But the prayer translated in English says, if you want your dream to be, Take your time, go slowly. L small beginnings, greater ends. 
Like it's better to get rid of your demonic things in 20 years slowly than to try to do it in five days by rocking the boat. In five days you will always get violent results because the change is too sudden. Francis of Assisi said it's better. Take your time, go slowly. Because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You have to run for the rest of your life and stay in the right lane. And therefore, if adjusting your course takes 10 years, let it take 10 years. In 10 years, you are going to be shining. It doesn't have to happen in three days right now. Go for it steadily, steadily. So I'm telling you all this because I always have a negative reaction from people with this thing with the demons and so on, especially because people start feeling guilty, dirty, demonized, possessed, not loving God. And it's true to a large extent. When you wake up to this reality, you look around you, especially now in Kali Yuga, in the late Kali Yuga, you look around and the fucking world is a dance of demons. Even Jesus... At some point when he speaks about the devil, he calls the devil the prince of this world. In Kali Yuga, the world is temporarily leased to the devil. The devil is running the show. When you look around, it's just enough to look at one edition of the news and to see that what's happening is nothing have to do with Jesus, with Gandhi, with uh, Buddha, with nothing to do with it. Only pro forma. Pro forma, there are some years there that people do some ceremonies, you know. But otherwise, it's not happening. And thus, people tend to get desperate because it's too ugly. But you have to live with that. You have to live with that. A great saint from Mount Athos said in this respect, keep your mind in hell. Like, don't hesitate seeing what is wrong in this world and being aware of it. Because that will make you see the opposite as well. That will make you appreciate what is happening when things are good and divine and pure. So don't be afraid to confront all these demonic things because at some point you can say, yeah, but I myself am a little... Yes, look in the mirror, say you are 90% clean, but see there is still a 10% margin where things are not quite okay. What are you going to do in the next five years to deal with this 10%? Because it doesn't mean that if you are a little bit, then you have to give up the whole battle. You have to give up the whole campaign just because ah, I can't do it perfectly. No, then do it imperfectly, but do it. Do it to the best of your ability. That's still something. And that will give you the chance that at some point you go and do something better. So back to the story where the apostles, the semi-apostles, they say, Lord, even the demons, many, many demons around, submit to us in your name. The second thing is, the thing, they submit to us in your name. In your name. As long as we tell them, in the name of Jesus, go away, they do. 
because it's not the power of the apostles. This was the power of Jesus. And therefore, this is very important to understand the power of the name. When you act, do you do it in the name of Shiva? Do you do it in the name of Jesus? What name have you chosen? What, how, what aspect of God? I do it in the name of Kali. No? For example, when Ramakrishna put one disciple in Samadhi, as I was saying last time, doing this extreme thing to put a group of people in Samadhi, one of them could not take it. And when he could not take it, Ramakrishna stopped it in the name of Kali, by praying to Kali. He said, Mother, this one cannot take it, please let him go, stop. And the state of Samadhi stopped, just like that. So, it's in the name of what? It's very important. For example, the old Christian mystics, they were afraid of demons and demonic visions. One of the biggest plague, which plagues uh, hermits, people who live alone, is that they live alone, they speak to God, and they start imagining that God is talking back to them, and then they have a vision, they hear a voice, depending if they are visual, auditory, kinesthetic people, they have some message, and then they may discover that that message came from the devil. And the question is, how do you make a difference between imagination, God, and the devil? Because, for example, the devil is very crafty, and he can come and pretend he is Jesus. I know, I knew a woman 30-something years ago, during a fever, she had a hallucination where she saw Jesus in a golden chariot, like Cinderella. Jesus came like Cinderella in a coach made of gold and told her to baptize people in his name. And she was baptizing people outside of the church, like a private person. She was baptized, which baptism is a very serious business in the end. She was baptizing people in her bathtub. She baptized one of my friends in her bathtub. Because the guy was a cynical guy and he said, it doesn't cost me anything to make an experiment, you know, to see what this crazy woman is about. And um, so obviously it was not Jesus who told that to that woman. You could see it. The tree is known by the fruits. There were many, 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 many people lacking from that equation. And in the same way, we have seen people believing in a lot of things. For example, Origenes, the great Greek philosopher who became a disciple of Christ, Origenes, was considered one of the biggest hopes of Christianity. He was there with Saint Basil the Great and others. He was really huge in Christianity. And one night, Jesus came to him and explained to him about explained to him a paragraph from the Bible where he explained that actually the secret of spirituality is that men should cut their own testicles, that men should castrate themselves, because as long as you have your testicles, you are an animal who is horny and wants to have sex, and a lot of your actions are in a subtle way motivated by your libido, like Freud said centuries later. And Origenes believed in Christ so much that the next morning he took the knife and cut his balls to give his life to God. And then everybody else says that the, the devil tricked him. 
This was a trick from the devil. That's why in the mystics, this is a perennial theme. How do you make sure that it's this and it's not that? You know one of the methods which the mystics, the fathers of the desert, used in case they were subjected to an apparition. And they were so crazy, some of them, they were eating little, drinking little, and living in the desert alone. Sometimes they saw one man per year. And sometimes when they met with people, they, even if they touched them on the shoulder, they didn't know if those people were demons materialized to play a prank on them or human beings. They, they were living in a world which was half insane. And they didn't know, like this person told them something. And they confused them greatly. And then either they talked to a demon, an appearance, a vision, or they talked to a human being. Their preferred formula was, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I swear you to tell me who you are and in the name of whom you come. And they discovered a very simple thing. In the moment when they said that to demons, the demons vaporized in thin air. They simply could not say, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, I tell you I come in the name of Jesus. It's impossible. The power of the word, the vaksidi, does not allow that. The divine power forbids that, that you say that. And if you say it and it's not true, there will be a lot of karmic consequences. A lot of karmic consequences. For example, in Romania, very often it is known that some priests who become fake priests, and they do such things and they keep saying things in the name of God because that's what they are paid to do, they have very bad deaths or accidents or bad luck which very often extends to their family as well. And therefore, most priests having seen this for hundreds of years, they say, no, 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 I will never tread over the line because I know what happened to that guy. You don't joke with the divine powers because the divine powers can burn you really badly. And therefore, this is the power of the name. When you say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is a formula which was left by Jesus. Remember that even Jesus, when he was taken in front of the Jewish priests to be judged and accused, the high priest knew this kind of things, and he accused him directly. And he said, in the name of God, in the name of the Most High, I am telling you now, like joke aside, you know, all this argumentation aside. I am asking you in the name of the Most High, are you the Son of God or not? And Jesus looked serenely in the eyes of everybody and he said, I am. That's where it comes. That's where things become really serious. So that's why it's a very important thing when you try to meditate on this, that the apostles said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Like you see a person who is demonized, let's say epilepsy. And you say, ugly demon of epilepsy, get out of here, leave this uh, human being alone. And the demon looks at you and says, ha, 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 why should I do it? 
What can you do to me? Nothing. Bye-bye. But in the moment when they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, it's like the demon got poured with liquid fire. And then he ran away squealing like a beaten dog. Oh, no, 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 not Jesus, please, no, 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 not Jesus. What's the effect of the name in the astral world? Because physically, everybody can fake it. Everybody can cheat it. Maybe they will have karmic consequences or divine retribution later. Or maybe quickly, but again, most people don't observe these things. But in the case of Jesus, the name of Jesus had power. Remember what the disciples reported, that there was one guy who was not one of the apostles, and he took out demons by saying, in the name of Jesus. But he was not one of the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus told them, let him be. If he does it in my name, he is not completely against me. And he said, those who are not against you, no, they could be with you in another way. It doesn't mean that he belongs to your sect, that he belongs to your denomination. He does it in the name of Jesus. Today, Christianity has split in a lot of denominations and many of them claim to do it in the name of Jesus. Sometimes the effects are catastrophic and sometimes you can see certain results in all of them. And he said, they told him, go demons submit to us. And then Jesus replied. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So he simply says, I am someone who witnessed even the fall of Lucifer, of Satan. I am above these things. That's why when it comes from me, you have a power which supersedes these powers. So he says, this story with I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. You know that the snakes and scorpions are just symbols. Don't take it literally. Yeah. The snakes and scorpions in the area of Palestine, they were some of the most horrible animals, some of the most dangerous animals that you found there. And then automatically the human mind had transformed them into symbols of the devil. Even in some later Christian documents, they say, I saw the devil roaring like a lion and eating people's souls. You know, even the lion is in some of the deserts of that area. The African lion is also a horrible creature which can eat human beings and all that. But the lion has something more majestic. And it's different in a way. So sometimes it's used as a bad symbol. Sometimes Jesus would be compared to a lion. Jesus, like a lion, stood on the rooftops and shouted the truth loud and clear. The Tibetans use it. The lions roar. That a Buddha should roar like a lion and tell the truth fearlessly. No? So with the lion is half-half. But snakes, scorpions, 
these are used. Today, you many of you know that there are some of these crazy churches of United States where people actually handle poisonous snakes and scorpions thinking that this is a power given by Jesus and the power of God. They take it literally. They interpret this sentence literally. And even recently I read about some who were playing with this and they got bitten by some snakes and died. No? Like in the end you can see it's a joke. It's a joke because we are not talking about this literally. So Jesus first assures them and he says, don't worry, I have seen the devil falling from heaven and becoming what he has become. I am above this. I have overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because it's not a match of power. <laughs> I have power in the name of Jesus, of course, to cast out the snakes and the scorpions, the demons. It's nothing. You are just serving a cause. You are a soldier in an army. And the power is not your power. is the power of the leader of that army. You are just a proxy. So why are you happy? Oh, I got the power to... That power can be taken from you in half of a second. Then who are you? Then when you ask the famous question, who am I? What am I doing? Like, who are you? Nothing. Nobody. It's not that power which defines you. He says, you rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Like there is a seat reserved for you in Shambhala, in the kingdom of God. That's the real victory. So Jesus, in a certain way, tells them, be like in Karma Yoga. Don't get attached to the action and its outcome. Just be aware that you do this by serving the Spirit of God and you are instruments and as instruments your reward is that you will reach salvation. That's what matters. That's the real reward. Not power. <laughs> we got power that even the demons submit to us. That's an illusion. They are pleased by some manipuristic things. They say, how cool we have become. Since we are Jesus' disciples, we can throw away demons. That's a manipuristic competitive thing. And Jesus is putting them down. He says, that's not what should make you happy. What should make you happy is that you saved your soul. That your name is written in heaven. All the time, all that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. It's uh, wonderful. In another place, Jesus says, where there is a lot of intelligence, there is a lot of vanity and emptiness as well. And he doesn't mean the Buddhist emptiness like wisdom. He means emptiness like psychological emptiness. You see so many people intelligent. Perhaps the historical example which is uh, most spicy is a guy like Voltaire. Huh? Voltaire and his famous Candide and other such things. Where you can see this demonic cynicism, this skepticism. 
Voltaire is definitely an intelligent guy. He has class. He is well educated. And because of this, he forgets to be a child. And because he is not a child, he can't see clearly. He always replaces the intuition with thinking too much. And thinking is always leading him wrong. Remember, a few weeks ago, I read for you the episode where Jesus asked, who do you think I am? When you see all these miracles which happen non-stop, non-stop like this. And Peter, who may have been astrologically an Arius, and therefore he may have had some sort of idealism. Sometimes the Arius is described like the baby of the zodiac. No? Simple thinking, baby-like. Pleasant, unpleasant, good, bad, you know. But that simplicity contains a common sense in it. Because that's exactly how the universe is. And the baby sees it more realistically sometimes. A child sees it more realistically than a grown-up human being who learns too much, thinks too much, and complicates things too much. It's like I tell to people in Kashmiri Shaivism where we talk about oneness and monism. And I tell them, put your finger on the table, take a hammer and blast your finger. And if you can resist that and rejoice in that, then you have reached monism, you know, but otherwise common sense. You have to come to an experiment which even a child can understand. Things are obvious and common sense. Like this famous Hans Christian Andersen novel, in which a child eventually says the truth. He says, but the emperor is naked. Like, stop pretending. The emperor is naked. Today, in the 21st century, when you look to a news bulletin, when you look like a child, you shrug your shoulders and you say, the emperor is naked, the emperor is naked, the emperor is naked. There is so much hypocrisy. There is so much political correctness. There is so much falseness. When Wiki, WikiLeaks or somebody... They published the telegrams, the cables, which the different embassies from the world, especially the American State Department with its embassies, they were passing on to each other. And in the cables, there were realistic evaluations. Like they said, uh, this guy from like uh, this guy from Syria or whatever, Bashar al-Assad or whatever, he's an asshole, he's an alcoholic, he does this, he does that. So when you deal with him, you should be careful not to step on this toe and to do this. No, like it was information. But when they became public, it was an outrage. And the American government condemned the leakers as guilty for endangering the security of the United States. Why? That's the truth. The truth is that the emperor is naked. But you can't say it. There are two American scientists, Herrenstein and another one, who published a famous book 20 years ago, 18 years ago, called The Bell Curve. And in The Bell Curve, they discovered that in America, where people had equally approximately, equally opportunities, in society, the black people had smaller IQ than the white people. You know what happened? They were thrown out of the university, although the, the study was 100% scientific. But in 2000 and something, you can't say that the African-Americans have slightly... You can say that they have bigger dicks. 
and that they are taller and they play better basketball in NBA. Yeah. And they also are a bit more stupid. No, no, you cannot say it, but it's true. It's a scientific truth. Try to see if anybody has refuted that scientific work. It was a PhD work higher than PhD because they were both of them doctors, PhDs, and they wrote a scientific work. And unfortunately, they thought they can just tell the truth. But they could not. The truth should not be told. No? There are people who say, not six million Jews died in Auschwitz because it's impossible, just one million died. One million doesn't make it much less. But you kill one million people or you kill six million people, it's still a mass genocide. But for the sake of the numbers, let's have our numbers right. Did anybody explain to that explanation? No. They were all of them proclaimed as revisionists, uh, bloody bastards, neo-Nazis, guilty, anti-Semitic, something. Nobody listens to the science of it. And I could continue like this with some of the most uh, politically incorrect things which exist in this world. No? We are not interested in saying the emperor is naked. We are interested in playing some games. That's why Jesus is exactly the opposite of this. And he says, God, how great this universe is. But you see, God says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's exactly, for those of you who did levels 3, 4 here in Agama, that's exactly the initiative when you do a blessing. When you do a blessing, what's the first thing that you do? Some of you don't know it yet. I hope you'll learn it. When you do a blessing, the first thing which you are supposed to do is that you are supposed to bless God. When Mary of Egypt, an uh, Egyptian saint who lived in the in Palestine desert, when she was discovered, and this guy noticed that when she was praying, she was floating in the air and other miracles which are incredible, he said, Mother, give me a blessing. And she said, no, you are a priest, you give me a I'm just a sinful woman living in the desert. And he said, no, 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 let's not bullshit, you know, you are flying in the air when you are praying, you know. So stop this nonsense, give me a blessing. And then Mary of Egypt raised her hands to God, and she said, blessed be God who loves people and wishes for their salvation. And then, of course, we are not being told. Then she said, my brother... Zorba, or whatever the name of that guy was, may you be blessed. Like, to give a blessing, first you have to bless God. First you have to connect with God. And then from that there comes grace, and from the grace there comes a blessing. Always when we do blessings, we first meditate on the grace. We ask for grace, and we bless God. And that gives the power to connect, because the power does not exist in us. No? And here, Jesus does the same thing. It's like he is preparing to give a blessing. He says, through, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, so he was enlightened, you know. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. Actually, the wise and learned very often get it wrong. And revealed them to little children. Like sometimes a child says, the emperor is naked. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. 
he puts it here the typical bhakti way. Jesus is not always trying to explain all the metaphysics of the world. He is teaching people a form of bhakti from the heart. And that's why Jesus is giving to people this angle. Sometimes you do not understand God. And when you do not understand God, you should surrender like he does here. He says, because this was your good pleasure. Somehow God pleased in making it this, that when you get intelligent, you accumulate a lot of burden of shit in your mind. And when you are simple like a child, then the truth is obvious. And many people know. My first instinct was the right one. Why? Because your first instinct was like a child, without thinking too much. The first instinct is very often the right one, precisely because of this. Because then you are like a child. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Here, he makes a metaphysics which I have for years and years looked for some Christian uh, theologians or mystics to explain it. And there are a few saints like Saint Isaac of Syria and a few other Christian saints who have tried. If you read their writings, you'll see that they have tried, but their explanation is absolutely bizarre and it contains twisted theological concepts and it's really, really intricate when it's supposed to be more simple. I think the, one of the most wonderful ways to understand such a thing where Jesus simply says, only the Father sees me as the Son and the Son understands the Father and those who want to reach to the Father should go to the Son, is by going to the triad of Kashmiri Shaivas, to the Trika. Because that's where we have metaphysics which can somehow explain these things. In the Trika metaphysics, the triad of God is made of Anuttara Paramashiva, who is God, the Father. And then there is Shiva and Shakti, Shiva, the Son, and Shakti, the Holy Spirit. And therefore he says, only Shiva understands Paramashiva, and Paramashiva is the one who has created or generated Shiva. And everybody who wants to go to God should go through Shiva, should go through the pure consciousness, should go through Sahasrara, should go through the void, should go through the Shiva nature, through the Buddha nature, should go through this. That's why it's called still Kashmiri Shaivism, although Shakti has an equal value. But it's Kashmiri Shaivism, like you have to have the consciousness of Shiva. And with the consciousness of Shiva, which is the state of Samadhi, with that consciousness of Shiva, one understands God. Therefore, here Jesus is expressing some metaphysics at the highest level. Let's read it again. He said, this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by the Father. 
Like, of course, Shiva is the Lord of the universe. There is nothing which doesn't belong to the Shiva consciousness. Okay, in Christianity they call Shiva the Son. And Shakti the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter. The principle remains the same. And he says all things have been committed to be by, by Father. Shiva is the creator of everything. No one knows the Son is who the Son is except the Father. That's why when Peter said, you must be the Son of God, Jesus was amazed and he said, flesh and blood, your brain, your intelligence, could not have revealed this. The fact that you got this weird idea is coming directly from God. God has opened your eyes so that for a second you looked at me and you said, this is the Son of God. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen it. The Son is revealed by the Father. He says, only, the, only no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. From the Shiva consciousness, the gurus of India and of Thai Buddhism, and you name it, of Tibet, they discovered that once you have that consciousness, it can be pushed on other people in special conditions. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's feasible. Like remember, Ramakrishna just touched people like this and put them in samadhi just by touching them. Like really, his spiritual power was something grotesque, was something huge. And therefore, it's the same thing. If one reaches unity with Shiva, one can share it to the others. That's the whole history of spirituality. That gurus and great avatars like Jesus, they have shared this consciousness down the, down the slope, down the river. There was a river of grace flowing through them and from them to other people in humanity. But that's why Jesus makes it clear. Somebody else cannot give it to you. Only through this. If somebody has the Shiva consciousness, they can make other people understand God. If not, we, I know personally examples of people who are scholars and they try to do it. And they didn't succeed. Even the man who wrote the first brilliant PhD on yoga, Mircea Eliade, that I mentioned him so many times, Mircea Eliade did not reach enlightenment. And because of this, his books on yoga are brilliant up till here, up till Ajna Chakra. In Ajna Chakra, he's still a genius. When it comes to Sahasrara, the poor Mircea Eliade doesn't understand what the name of the game is. He hasn't seen it with his own eyes and therefore he is incapable to make any serious transmission about that. That's why here Jesus is telling a fundamental truth and to conclude for tonight, after he gave this high metaphysics that no, only the Father knows who the Son is and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him, he makes a clear door to God, then he turned to his disciples and said privately, said privately, like this was not public, this was something a bit more special. He said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see 
For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It's so obvious. It's so how many people have been in the direct presence of Buddha? How many people have been in the direct presence of Krishna? How many people have been in the direct presence of Jesus? At some point, Jesus tells to Thomas, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen and believed, and blessed are those who have not seen and still believed. We have not seen, and we try to believe many of these things and to go into that. But think about the people who were there physically, firsthand. And they saw many people say, Ah, if I would see that, you know, then all the projection is on your guru. Because your guru farted at the wrong moment or because your guru is too fat or too thin or something, you can't believe. But the problem is the belief itself. Remember that there were people who did not believe in the presence of Jesus. They've seen Jesus and more than 50% of the people, they said, ah, he is, he is a blasphemer. How can you? How can you? That's why people always anchor it on somebody. They said, ah, if my guru would have been this and that, then I would have seen things more clearly. It's arguable, if that's the point. But Jesus tells them anyway, I came here, I raised four people out of their graves, I healed lepers and blind and paralytics and demonized and everything. And blessed are you because you see what you see. It's a special karma. It's a special blessing to be in such an environment. And he tells them there have been prophets like Elijah and uh, King David. And they would have liked to see the Messiah. But they didn't see the Messiah. And Peter and John did. And they ate with him Jewish bread. Like this. Just like this. Common. They probably went and made pipi together behind the tree somewhere. You know, it's like they saw. So Jesus says, you don't realize how blessed you are that even kings and prophets who gave their lives to God completely, they were not given this little gift that they could see. They could have the blessing to see this. Remember that when Jesus was baptized, circumcised, uh, there was a prophet, I forgot his name, this zealot, who saw, he heard the baby, and he saw, and then he said, thank you, God, that you allowed me not to die before I saw this. Like, this was just an eight-day-old baby, but he could see this is the one that is coming. And he was grateful even for that, that he saw Jesus as a little baby. That was enough for him, because other people have not seen him even as a baby. They haven't seen anything. And today you have books out there which say that Jesus did not exist. That Peter and John and Andrew invented Jesus. That Jesus is not a real character. That's what we are talking about. Yeah? So here there is a deep meditation on what God gives you as a present and where this is going for you.
I could continue, but let us stop a bit early tonight. It is enough for tonight. It's our last time in this season. Thank you all for joining and for resisting this long series. Sometimes with Jesus, it's not easy. When you go and you say, oh, Swamiji is going to get mystical and sectarian and this, and he's going again to talk about Jesus and about demons and about this, and then people, you know, if I would be talking about, if I would do a satsang about sexual tantra, people would say it was interesting. But with Jesus, it's like you are reminded of yourself. You are reminded of the big issues. It's very serious. And sometimes it feels like it's very heavy. And again, in these circumstances where Agama is today, it's maybe appropriate that we have been going through the valley of the shadow of death together with Jesus, and we have taken an x-ray of our souls and of all the deep and heavy and serious issues that confront the human being. But I know it has not been the easiest spiritual exercise for you. So, thank you all for resisting. Uh, I hope these uh, satsangs are getting posted so you can listen to them again if you want to listen a paragraph or an opinion somewhere. And as about the fact that if in December I will continue still with the Gospel of Luke, or if I will insert quickly a few themes which are urgent and which I feel they have not been approached at that time, that I cannot tell you right now. Just follow the activity of Agama and I will see what I have what I feel the inspiration to do in the next season. With this, we have finished for now. If you have questions and other things, we have one more session of Q&A, and we can debate there. With this, we are done.